Well, guys, good morning. I'm very excited about this because today we're going to beginning a, be beginning a new series called Supernatural. And what I want us to do in this series is take a journey as a church through the book of Acts. And, and I love Acts because in Acts we see that Luke documents the arrival of of the Holy Spirit to the church and how Jesus sends the Holy Spirit um, to empower and to equip the church, not just the church as a whole, but for every individual in the church in order to be able to equip us to be able to carry out the work that Jesus has called us to and to be able to have success in your individual lives, to be able to have success in the circumstances I find myself in and you find yourself in. He sent the Holy Spirit in order to be able to give us advantage in these areas. And I feel like starting a series like this, I need to pause for just a moment and speak to anyone in the room who might have grown up like I did. Because if you grew up like I did, uh, you didn't really hear much about the Holy Spirit in church. I was in a church where, uh, you know, they talk about God the Father, God the Son, and <clears throat> the Holy Ghost. And uh, it was because there was, there was a lot of people who didn't understand and didn't seek to know the Holy Spirit. And in doing so, that kind of created a little bit of a mystery. And like, wait, there's, there's this Holy Ghost, this Holy Spirit, what is that? I mean, should I be scared of him? I mean, what, what is he here for? Why? And, and I remember just feeling like there was a mystery that surrounded the Holy Spirit in growing up. And it wasn't until later in life that, um, that my father uh, learned of the Holy Spirit, that I learned of the Holy Spirit, and that we uh, actually got baptized in the Holy Spirit. The Bible talks about the fact that there's different baptisms, that you are, are baptized in water that shows a representation of the fact that your old life has died and has passed away and that you have been raised again and receive a new life in Jesus Christ. But then there's another baptism that the Bible talks about that when you and I who are followers of Jesus, this is only available for people who have a personal relationship with Jesus Christ. When you and I are followers of Jesus, we can ask the Holy Spirit to fill us, and in doing so, the Bible talks about there being a baptism of the Holy Spirit, and how we are immersed in the presence of God, and he gives us empowerment and enablement in order to be able to be successful and have advantage in life. I think for every one of us in this room, if you had the opportunity to have an advantage in life, of course you would want to have it. You know, what, imagine with me if you had to walk everywhere in your life. You spent your entire life walking around, walking to work, walking to school, walking home. And then you found out on your deathbed that your parents gave you a car and it's been in your garage the whole time and you never had it. You think, what a ridiculous waste. I could, my life could have been so much better. Well, what I hope for every person in this room is that we would recognize God has given us an advantage in life. He's given us the ability to have the Holy Spirit's power, a supernatural power to help us and empower us and equip us in everything that we face. And we don't want to go through life just ignoring the fact that he's made himself available to us. So I'm excited to jump into this, and, and we're actually going to be following up in this teaching on the Wednesday nights, uh, the, the midweek services on Tuesdays and Wednesdays to come. After this question and answer this week, we're going to be uh, on our midweek services, spending a lot of time diving into the Holy Spirit and, and spending time laying hands on people and praying for people to receive the Holy Spirit. We want you to be a part of that, but uh, I'm excited today to jump into this series. And I feel like it's fitting not to start where the Holy Spirit is introduced to the church in Acts chapter 2, but I want to start at the very beginning in Acts chapter 1 because what we see happens is there's a story here that takes place in the beginning of Acts 
where Jesus promises the Holy Spirit to the apostles, to his disciples, his followers. And, and then there's a period of time that goes between the promise and then them actually receiving the Holy Spirit's presence in their life. And we, we see it here in Acts chapter 1. We're going to start here in verse 8. It says this. This is Jesus talking. But you will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes on you. And you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem, in all Judea and Samaria, and to the ends of the earth. After he said this, he was taken up before their eyes, and a cloud hid them from their sight. Would you pray with me before we dive into this? Heavenly Father, I know right now that if this is just me standing up in, on the stage talking, that it, it, it's a waste of time. But God, we pray right now that your Holy Spirit would come into this room. And that Jesus would be glorified. And that God, you would speak through me in this time. Please don't allow me to get in the way of anything you want to teach us and, and guide us in today. But God, reveal your truth to us and help us to understand your love for us more before we leave here today. And it's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. So imagine with me if you're one of the apostles at this time. Jesus is standing before them. This is after his death, burial, and resurrection. He's now standing there, resurrected before them, talking to them, and he gives them this wonderful promise. You're going to be my witnesses to the ends of the world. I am going to send you not just to your hometown, Jerusalem, not just to the surrounding regions of Judea and Samaria, but I'm going to send you to the ends of the world. Now, we have to put ourselves in their setting to truly understand the impact of what Jesus is saying here. Because in Jesus' time, we see that travel was much different than it is today. Because you think about it, for the average person in this room, we travel hundreds of miles, sometimes in a day. We'll, we'll drive across the state, it's no big deal. We'll hop on a plane, fly across the country, we'll fly internationally. And it's something that we don't even consider a big deal anymore. But in Jesus' time, when he's speaking to his apostles here, we see that the, the real means of travel for most people was just walking. So the average person in their lifetime would live their entire life within a, a specific miles from their house. It might just be 10, 20 miles from their house as far as they ever go. For people who traveled a lot, a journey of 100 miles or 200 miles was huge. Think about it. If the only time or the only way you ever traveled was by foot, if you were going to take a journey to Glenwood Springs, it would be a big deal. Like you'd, you'd plan on this for weeks, for months. You'd make sure you had all the resources you need. It might be a journey that you would only take once, maybe twice in your entire life. And now it's something that we don't even think about. So here in a time where you've got a group of men who don't travel, Jesus is saying, okay, now here's the next step. You're going to be my witnesses and you're going to travel to the very ends of the world. And I kind of get a sense that, that the disciples here must have been kind of going, well, that sounds really cool, but uh, I've never traveled anywhere. So, so now what? I, I wonder, because I feel like there's a lot of us that we've had a sense of the fact that God will tell us really big things that he wants to do in our lives, that he wants us to accomplish. And we'll, we'll hear dreams, but we'll think, you know, I don't know how to get from here to there, so, so now what? And you hear God whispering into you that, that he wants you to have a marriage that lasts for a lifetime. You think, I haven't even been on a date with a decent man in like two years. So, so now what? Or you think, you know, 
I feel like God is telling me I want to be a business owner, but I don't even know what type of business. I don't even know the next step. I wonder, have you ever felt like God was showing you you're going to be something more? You're going to do something more, but you find yourselves, I get a sense, a lot like the disciples who are going, now what? God whispers into you, you're going to be a man or a woman of righteousness. And you think, but I still struggle with the same sins, the same addictions, the same habits. So, so now what? Well, today I want to take a look into this story because I believe there is so much that we can pull out of these texts where these men who were the closest to Jesus, they walked with him, they, they learned from him the closest. We are going to look at what they did when they found themselves in a situation where Jesus said, I'm going to send the Holy Spirit to you, I'm going to send you to the ends of the world. What do you do between that time that God gives you a promise and actually you begin to see the promise fulfilled? Let's pick the story back up in verse 12. It says... Then they returned to Jerusalem from the hill called the Mount of Olives, a Sabbath day walk from the city. And when they arrived, they went upstairs to the room where they had been staying. Those present were Peter, John, James, Andrew, Philip, and Thomas, Bartholomew, and Matthew, James, son of Alphaeus, and Simon the Zealot, and Judas, the son of James. They all joined together constantly in prayer, along with the women and Mary, the mother of Jesus, and with his brothers. Verse 15. In those days, Peter stood up among the believers, a group numbering about 120, and said, Brothers, the scriptures had to be fulfilled, which the Holy Spirit spoke long ago through the mouth of David concerning Judas, who has served as a guide for those who arrested Jesus. He was one of our number and shared in this ministry. And with the reward that he got for his wickedness, Judas fell. Uh, Judas bought a field where he fell headlong. His body burst open. All his intestines spilled out. I read a verse like that, and the little boy in me goes, "Awesome!" But sorry, that's pretty gross. So I apologize. Verse nineteen. Everyone in Jerusalem heard about this, so they called the field in their language Akeldama. This is the field of blood. For, said Peter, it is written in the book of Psalms, may his place be deserted, let there be no one to dwell in it, and may another take his place of leadership. Verse 21, therefore it is necessary to choose one of the men who had been with us the whole time the Lord Jesus went in and out among us, beginning from John's baptism to the time when Jesus was taken up from us. For one of these must become a witness with us of his resurrection. So they proposed two men, Joseph called Barabbas, also known as Justice, and Matthias. Uh, then they prayed, Lord, you know everyone's heart, so show us which of these two you have chosen to take over the apostolic ministry which Judas has left to go where he belongs. Then they cast lots, and the lot fell to Matthias, so he was added to the eleven apostles. So here we get the story of what these men who were closest to Jesus did between the time when God said, I'm going to do something incredible with you and I'm going to send you to the ends of the world to the time that they actually began to see it take place. In this limbo period where in the, the middle they were a group of 12 and now they're down to a group of 11. They're not even a complete group anymore and they're saying we need to we need to get back to being a complete group before we can do what God even said he was going to do in our lives and and in this period of time when they looked at their lives they're like all right so God said we were going to do some big things now what we see what these men did 
I wonder, have you ever paid the penalty for not paying attention? This is something, I I pay the penalty for not paying attention all the time because I'm just going to go ahead and admit right in front of you this morning, this is going to really make my wife happy, but I am a horrible driver and I'm just going to admit it right now. It's because I get so distracted very easily when I'm driving and because I'm not paying attention, there will be many times that I'm driving around town, I'm thinking I got to get to this appointment, but then I like this song so I turn the song up and I roll the window down and I'm thinking I drive past my appointment and I'm like, where? am I going? I look down, I see I missed my appointment. I got to drive around and I'm paying the penalty because I wasn't paying attention. What's worse than that is my daughters and my wife have become horrible backseat drivers because of my driving now. So now I am paying attention. I'm driving. They're like, dad, you're going to need to turn right up here. I'm like, I know. All right. I've been driving a lot longer than you've been alive. And they're like, but you miss it most times. It's all because I wasn't paying attention, right? I think for most of us in this room, we've gone through problems in life and we can look back and go you know what I really should have been paying attention I I wouldn't have had to go through the problems that I went through I wouldn't have had to struggle that way if I was just paying attention but what about the times when you are paying attention what about the times when, when you're trying really hard to figure out what does God want me to do in my life? Should I stay with this business or should I move over here? Should I marry this woman or not? When you're really trying to pay attention and you don't know what to do, you feel like God has given you a sense that he wants to do something great in your life, but you find yourself asking the question, now what? What, what do I do now? I think we look at what the apostles did in this story and you see that they did five things that I, I don't think that this is like the perfect answer. If you do these five steps perfectly, that, that you're going to have every problem in your life ever figured out. But I think what we learn is the group of people who were the closest to Jesus spent the most time with him. When they didn't know what to do, these are the five things they defaulted in doing. And they said, we're going to go back to these five things because we know to do these things. And we see that they had incredible success and they started to see the promises of God fulfilled in their lives. So I don't want to waste any more time in this. I want to jump right into it in this first week of Supernatural. What do you do when you don't know what to do? When the question is now what? Here's five things to do. Number one, the first thing that we saw the apostles do is they obeyed God. They obeyed God. I think, well, yeah, that's a pretty simple point here at church. You're going to tell us, of course, to be obedient to God. But let's look at this. See, Jesus told them they were going to be witnesses to him, for him to the ends of the earth. You're going to travel to the ends of the earth. And then he says this. He says, now, do not leave Jerusalem, but wait for the gift my father has promised. See, what's amazing about this is we see a group of men who, who've walked with Jesus enough And they love him enough and they trust him enough. They've experienced his his teachings, his love so much that they've gotten to the point to where they've decided we're going to trust Jesus and we're going to do what he says to do even though it doesn't make sense. Even though it seems really strange and and, and he's saying you're going to go to the ends of the world so go home. Well, Jesus, that seems counterintuitive. Shouldn't we start preparing? Shouldn't we travel? Shouldn't we get a plan of, you know, should we get a boat? What should we do? And he's saying, uh, yeah, you're going to end up someday here, but what I want you to do right now is go home. And even though it was counterintuitive, they said, okay, I'm going to trust God even though it doesn't make sense. 
See, what could be so frustrating about Christianity is many of the teachings of Jesus are paradoxical. You think about it, you go, wait a minute, that, that just doesn't, that doesn't seem right. Because Jesus would teach things where he would say, if you want to be a leader, you need to become a servant. To where many of us in this room would go, wait, that, I don't know, that's counterintuitive. I feel like if I'm going to be a leader, I need to, to show my leadership skills. I need to assert myself more. I need to take over more situations. And Jesus is saying, if you want to be a leader, then you need to become a servant in the room. And you need to start serving leaders and serving the other people around you. So if, if you want to be great, you got to go in low. you got to be humble. You know, if you want to be someone uh, who's financially blessed, you have to be someone who gives of your finances. So wait a minute, that doesn't make any sense. If I want to have wealth, I want to get more in the bank. And he's saying, you know, you got to give more away. It doesn't work the way that we naturally would think it was. If we want to have joy and freedom, Jesus would teach us that we have to be people who give forgiveness. So wait a minute, you don't know what that person did. And see, I I think this is a good point for us as we look at the apostles, these great leaders in our faith. We see that they were the type of people who they didn't stop and say, wait a minute, I don't know if I should really forgive because you don't know what he did. I I don't know if I should really give because you don't know what my finances are. I I don't know if I should really follow Jesus this way or that way. They just said, wait, what did Jesus say to do? He said, to, he said to wait in Jerusalem, I'm going to go home to Jerusalem then. But that doesn't make sense. And the world will look at you and go, what are you doing? That doesn't make sense. Why do you spend your Sunday mornings at church when you could go to the lake? That doesn't make sense. And, and we as the followers of Christ go, wait a minute. It doesn't matter if it makes sense to you or not. Because so much of following Jesus is about trusting him even when we can't figure it out. Most of you guys know I love hunting. I talk about hunting all, all the time. In fact, for a period of time, I tried to not talk about hunting so much in our services because I know there's a lot of you in here that you just really don't care. But I have learned a lot about God through hunting. And strangely enough, one of the things that uh, we've been fortunate enough to do in my family is we've had an opportunity a couple different times to hunt with a professional guide. You know, my father and I would go, we're pretty horrible at hunting, so we need some help. So um, we decided to hire some people and go out with people who knew what they were doing. And I remember there was one occasion where I went into the woods with a professional guide, and we sat down, and we spotted the elk, and we were having a conversation about what we were going to do that evening. And he gave me a choice. He said, you know what, we still do have enough sunlight. We're kind of getting close, but we can go after this bull if you want to. And we started building a game plan. He said, all right, let's go for it. we got time. Let's go right now. And I stood up and I put my pack on and I started walking down where there's this canyon that would cross over and then there's a ridge line and we saw the elk on the other side and he goes, hey, what are you doing? I thought you said we're going to hunt the elk. He said, yeah, but we're not going that way. Follow me. And he turns around and he starts walking in the exact opposite direction of the elk. And now I'm arguing with the guy. I'm like, what are you doing? We don't have time for this. The sun is going to be down in like an hour and a half. Why are you going the wrong way? And, and he stopped me for a moment. He said, Dan, uh, I've gone down through that canyon before. There's a lot of fallen trees. It's rocky. There's a big creek in the bottom of it. There's no way we could get through that canyon tonight over those elk. Since I've been there before, will you just trust me and follow me? like, <laughs> So I was humbled. I said, thank you, okay. <laughs> yes, <laughs> thank you, grasshopper. <laughs> so I, I got behind him like, okay, I, I will just follow you. And, and I learned on that hunt what made it so 
much better for me to be with a guide as that guide has been there before. And since he's been there before and he knows what's going to take place and he knows the challenges ahead, there's some things he asked me to do doesn't make sense at all. And I had to go, okay, I trust that you've been here before. I'm going to do it your way. That's hunting. But it taught me so much about life and about trusting God because in this, this point about obeying God, I think there's a lot of times we struggle in life and we don't have success and we hurt ourselves and hurt the people around us because Jesus says, come this way, do life this way, and we go, I don't know, it looks like it'll be easier this way. I'm going to go this way. He's saying, I've been there before. I've gone before you. I know what's going. I see, I'm already in your tomorrow, waiting for you tomorrow, and I, I've prepared a way for you. You've got to trust me. You've got to follow me. And here we see this group of guys. And when they ask the question, now what? I don't know what to do. I don't know how to make my marriage look right. I don't know how to get off drugs. I don't know what to do. When, when Jesus said, do it this way, they went, okay, I'm going to do it that way. I'm not going to try to figure it out on my own. I'm just going to do it that way. The second thing we see that they did, first they obeyed God. Second, they prayed together. They prayed together. Verse 14 says, they all joined together constantly in prayer. See, there's a lot of times we should be praying for things by ourselves. Now, we should get off by ourselves and we should pray for the things that matter. But there are certain things in life that are important enough to us where we need to join together and pray. That's why we, in our services, have times where our prayer counselors will come forward. Because Matthew 18 tells us that when we come together in a group of two or three in the name of Jesus, that he's there with us. And there's a power when believers come together in Jesus' name and pray for things. So they decided we're going to get together and we're going to pray. There's a lot of stuff I pray for by myself, but I also have a group of people that are really in my inner circle closest to me that I trust them with the things that are really going on in my life, and I ask them to pray for me about things that, that a lot of people don't even know is going on in my life. I mean, obviously, Amelie prays with me. I call my father and my mother, and I tell them what's going on in my life, and they pray with me. There's a group of men um, that are, have been board members and are board members in our church that I, I pray with throughout the year. There are a group uh, of people on our staff that I pull aside and say, this is going on in my life. Would you pray with me? And we see that when, when the apostles found themselves going, we don't know what to do, instead of just going at it by themselves, they said, let's all get together in the same room and present this problem to God. Because if we're here together in Jesus' name, he's going to be here with us too. So they obeyed him. They prayed together. The third thing they did is they went to the word. They went to the word. So it says that Peter uh, went and found scriptures that related exactly to what they were going through. Verse 15 says, In those days Peter stood up among the believers, a group numbering about 120, and said, Brothers, the scriptures had to be fulfilled in which the Holy Spirit spoke long ago. So he's saying, I looked in the Bible and saw that God has already talked about this struggle that we're going through right now. So he said, I'm going to open up my Bible. I'm going to figure out what does Jesus have to say about this? Because if Jesus had anything to say about it, if he wanted me to know about it, I want to know what he told me so I can make the right decision." When Amelie and I were newlyweds I, uh, newlyweds, I shared this story before. You've probably heard it before, but this is one of the times I searched in the scripture that, that God 
spoke to me in such a very clear and practical way. But when we were newlyweds, I remember there was an opportunity we had because we were broke. I mean, we were broke, 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 broke. And we had some other friends who were broke, 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 broke too. And we were all talking about how we wanted to go on a vacation. We wanted to do something fun. And, and someone in our group threw out the idea, you know what? If we pulled our money together, we could all go in and buy a boat. And then we would all be able to use that as like a vacation tool. And as, as a young newlywed, we thought, this is a great idea. I love this idea. You know, let's go buy a boat. We're going to be able to party every weekend. It's going to be awesome. It's going to be so cool. But I remembered, you know, I grew up in church, and I remember that, you know, it's very important to have a multitude of counsel around you. You should be gaining advice from older, wiser people around you. So I went to some Christians that I knew. I went to two different men and asked them about this. And I asked one Christian man, I said, okay. Uh, I got a friend who wants to go in with me, and we can get alone together and buy a boat. What do you say about that? He goes, uh, that sounds like a great idea. You guys are, are, are broke, but you'd be able to afford that, so that's a good way you can like ensure that you'll have a vacation anytime you want. And I left to go, this is awesome. I'm going to go buy a boat. But I thought, you know, one person's not really a multitude of counsel, so I'm going to ask another person too. And I asked another guy. He's a Christian guy too. I said, I'm thinking about buying a boat with another dude. And he goes, whoa. Shut up. You're saying stupid things right now. Like, what are you talking about? This is a great idea. He's like, this is a horrible idea. Never do something that dumb ever. Just go back to work and earn some money. And I'm like, what are you talking about? So now I'm frustrated because here I am talking to this Christian wise man, and I'm talking to another Christian wise man, and, and both of them give me advice, and the advice contradicts. So what do I do with that? Well, luckily... This third point has been instilled in me since I was a child because my father began teaching me when I was a child to read the Bible. And he taught me very simply. He said, every day, read a Psalms and read a Proverbs. He said, there's 31 Proverbs in the Bible. 31. 31 days in the month. So he said, it's real simple. If you wake up and it's the 8th, read the 8th Proverb. If you wake up and it's the ninth, read the ninth Proverb. If you miss the 10th and wake up and it's the 11th, read the 11th Proverb. But it'll keep you on a plan where you're constantly getting God's Word in you. And I remember waking up the next morning frustrated. It's going, I don't know what to do. I, I, I don't know. It just so happened that that next day was the 6th. And I opened up to Proverbs 6, verse 1, and it said this. My child, if you have put up security for a friend's debt or agreed to guarantee the debt of a stranger, if you had trapped yourself by an agreement and are caught up by what you said, follow my advice and save yourself, for you have placed yourself at your friend's mercy. Now swallow your pride. Go and beg to have your name erased. Don't put it off. Do it right now. So you know what I did that day? I called my friend and said, you know what, I can't do this. I'm not going to go and co-sign on a loan. The Bible says not to, so I'm not going to do it. And, he's, and it, it frustrated my friend. He's like, that doesn't make any sense. But when I searched the scriptures for what I was dealing with, the answer came, and it came very clearly to me, and it's exactly what Peter did. Now, I don't want to speak anything negative about any person in my past, and I'm not trying to do that, but I, just to bring some clarity to this story. I had no way of knowing, but within the next year, that couple that we were going to get the loan with, they divorced and they lost their jobs and moved to two different states. So what would have happened if I would have been stuck with a loan that I couldn't have afforded? 
It was all the grace of God that he put in his word, truth for my life today. And you go, truth for my life today? This was written over 2,000 years ago. What are you talking about, truth for my life today? Well, the Bible is, is the word of God. It's living and active for today. And there is truth in the scripture about what you're facing today. There's truth in the scripture. There's truth in the scripture when it comes to relationships, when it comes to sex, when it comes to finances. When it, when it comes to serving, when it comes to owning businesses, it being employed by different employees, there's truth in here about everything. And you have to search the scriptures to know what did God say to do? Because there's a lot of things that Christians go before God and say, God, what do you want me to do here? And God's saying, I already wrote it very clearly and put it in your lap. I already answered this question. Are you someone who's going, like one of the apostles are going, I guarantee you this is something I faced, and God already knew about it, so he put some truth in his word about this. I need to find it. So what did the apostles do? Number one, they obeyed God. Two, they prayed together. Three, they went to the word. And then four, they used common sense. They used common sense. So Peter finds in the word that they need to find someone to take Judas's place. And then this is what he said. Therefore, it's necessary to choose one of the men who have been with us this whole time. The Lord Jesus went, the whole time the Lord Jesus went in and out among us, beginning from John's baptism to the time he was taken up from us. For one of these must become a witness with us of his resurrection. Well, see, they found in Scripture that the Bible said someone needed to take his place, but where did they get that it had to be someone that was with them the whole time? That's common sense. That's common sense. And truthfully, I believe that common sense can go a little underrated in the Christian faith. Because as Christians, what do we do? We look for the miraculous. We look for the big sometimes. We want to see a miracle when many times the answer is just a very simple common sense thing. That's why we'll get ourselves in debt. And instead of deciding the common sense thing is i got to work harder and earn more money and spend less, that's common sense. We pray prayers like, God, would you help me win Powerball? Don't you know, God, if I win Powerball, I'm going to tithe, and I'll help some other people out, and I'll, I'll throw a little bit their way. And we'll pray these prayers like, God, send me a miracle. When God's going, that is a pretty dang common sense thing. Just stop spending money, you know? But here is where the struggle lies for a Christian, is sometimes we need to obey God even when it doesn't make sense, and sometimes we have to use common sense. And we see that the apostles in this story did both. Jesus said to do something, and it seems crazy, but he said to do it, so I'm going to do it. And then there are other things in life when I don't know what Jesus says about this, so I'm going to just do the thing that is pretty common and makes a lot of sense. And I love that that's pointed out in the scripture, that they decided, hey, we got to find someone who's been here the whole time. If he's going to be a witness, he needs to have seen what took place so we can eliminate everyone who hasn't been here the whole time. And then that brings us to the fifth thing that they did. And number five is that they trusted God for direction. They trusted God for direction. So they had two good options, Matthias and Justice. And they, they still didn't know what to do. So here's, here's this really big frustration. It says that the Bible says that they took and cast lots. What does that mean? 
Basically, it means someone had a set of dice in their pockets. And they decided, we don't know what to do, so we're going to throw dice out here. We're going to trust that God's just going to make this work out the way it's going to work out. And we know God's in control. He's going to let it happen the way he wants it to happen. And they threw dice. And you might say, wait a minute. So are you saying if I've got a struggle in life and I need to know, should I move my family to Oklahoma or should I stay here, that I should pull out a coin and flip a coin and, and see? This might seem very strange to us, but the truth is, in the Jewish culture, every good Jewish boy and girl learned this from an early age of just going, there's some things we don't know what God wants us to do in life, so we're just going to throw it out there, leave it to chance, and we're going to trust that God is ultimately in control. But here's where the story gets really interesting. This is the very last time it is recorded in Scripture that a believer in God, a follower of Jesus Christ, ever cast lots to try to figure out what God is going to decide for them. It's the very last time. You say, well, why is that? Because of the introduction of the Holy Spirit's presence to the church in the very next chapter. Because we see in Acts chapter 2, verse 1, it says, when the day of Pentecost came, they were all together in one place. Suddenly the sound that like a blowing of a violent wind came from heaven and filled the whole house where they were sitting. Then they saw what seemed like tongues of fire that separated and came to rest on each of them. All of them were filled with the Holy Spirit and began to speak in other tongues as the Spirit enabled them. So what happened was that at this moment, the Holy Spirit came and became available, not just to everyone in that room, but available to everyone who is a follower of Jesus Christ. So from that point forward, there was no more casting lots, no more leaving it to chance, no more just hoping that the dice will fall the right way. They started being able to lean into God and go, God, I'm going to trust you for what you want to do in my life. So God, what's my next step? Give me some guidance. Give me some peace. And as we're going to look in the next several weeks, as we look in this series on Acts, we're going to see that over and over again, the Holy Spirit began to speak to individuals and give them guidance. In Acts chapter 8, Philip was led by the Holy Spirit to get into the carriage of an Ethiopian eunuch. He did this because the Holy Spirit said to do it. Acts 15, they're talking, it says, It seemed good to the Holy Spirit and good to us not to burden you. And Paul later on talks about the fact that the Holy Spirit forbade him from going to Macedonia. So from here on, the people are not making decisions just hoping by chance, but they're leaning on the fact that the Holy Spirit can guide you. And see, this is what I'm hoping in this series that we can understand is that in the Godhead of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, God has made His Holy Spirit available to you so that you won't go through life blind. You won't go through life without a guide and trying to do things on your own, but you can lean into Him and say, okay, what do you want me to do? Jesus talked about the Holy Spirit in John 16, 7. It says, but in fact, it is best for you that I go away because if I don't, the advocate, speaking of the Holy Spirit here, won't come. If I do go away, then I will send him to you. The word here for Holy Spirit is paraclete, and it means a teacher, a counselor, a guide, uh, an advocate, a helper. He said, I'm sending a helper to you. I'm not leaving you on your own. As I go to be with the Father in heaven and prepare a place for you, I'm not leaving you by yourself. I'm leaving the Holy Spirit with you. He 
guides us. So from this point forward, every believer who has a relationship with Jesus can ask the Holy Spirit to guide us. And one of the ways that I've recognized that the Spirit will guide me many times when I'm faced with the decision is He'll guide me with His peace. Because I can tell you there's been times where Amelie and I, we face decisions and the decision seems like a win-win, a good decision either way. I remember there was a house that we looked at a couple years ago that every time we went and saw the house, we're like, it's a beautiful house, it's awesome, we want to, we want to buy this house, there's no reason we shouldn't, we can afford it kids love it. They're out playing in the backyard. This is awesome. And we started praying about it and started saying, God, we can afford this house. Is this what you want us to do? And, and we felt like we weren't really getting an answer, but it's coming closer to the time where we need to put an offer in or get out. And, and so we're praying more and more and more. And the more we began to pray, we started realizing that the more we were praying about this house, the less peace we And I start recognizing if the peace of God is not going in the direction of this house, I have to figure out where is the peace of God going? Is the peace of God in in staying where I am? Is the peace of God in going somewhere else? And I started praying, God, I'm going to follow you. I'm going to follow your peace. And in doing so, it, it has brought us out of so many places where I'm not just going and flipping a coin and throwing the lots of going, I guess God help me. I'm going, God, where are you going? Because I want to follow you. But here's what we have to understand about the Holy Spirit. I I grew up playing football, and I had a loud, boisterous coach. I mean, one of those guys, he would scream at you, Hooper, you're running slow. Get out there. Come on. He hit you on the helmet and screamed. And I was used to the type of coaching where if I was doing something wrong, he'd scream, stop it. Do something else. You know, get back in there. And I think there's a lot of times I've missed what God was trying to speak to me because I, I I've thought of the Holy Spirit of being like a worldly, boisterous, loud guide, and I haven't heard him screaming at me. But what we see about the Holy Spirit is the Holy Spirit is a gentleman. He's not going to force his way on you. He's not going to force his way into your life. You have to invite him. You have to say, God, what do you want to do? Would you fill me? Would you help me? And it's in those times then he whispers to you, here's where my peace is. Here's where the answer to this problem is. Here's the next thing you should do. I want to invite you to stand with me before we leave today. I feel like it's important as we start this series off to to make sure, you know, the only reason that you and I have the ability to stand before God and ask for His Holy Spirit is because of what Jesus has done for us. Because of the fact that Jesus died on the cross for our sins and rose again, conquered death, hell, and the grave for you, paid the price for your sins. If you have asked Jesus to forgive you of your sins, you made him the Lord of your life, this is available to you. But I recognize in this room right now, there's some people that have never done that. Gone to church your whole life, you've heard about Jesus, you've heard about God, you've you've tried to, to follow the Ten Commands, you've tried to do all these other things, but you've never made Jesus your Savior. I want to take just a moment right now and and do a repeat after me prayer and give you an opportunity to pray and ask Jesus to become your Savior. So right now, I'll just ask every head to be bowed. And let's pray this prayer right now. Dear Jesus, I'm a sinner and I need forgiveness. I believe you died on the cross for me. You paid the price for my sins. 
and you rose again. So I ask you now to forgive me of my sins and to be my Lord and my Savior. In Jesus' name, amen. Now I want to do one more prayer before we leave. I want to ask any person in here that you want the Holy Spirit's guidance in your life. You want his help in your life. To not just wait and expect him to be like a boisterous coach who's going to yell and, and, and scream and try to push you into alignment. But to recognize he's a gentleman and he's only going to come help you if you ask for him to. So I want every eye to be closed in this room right now. And if that's you and you want to invite the Holy Spirit to guide you, to just raise your hands into the air and pray with me right now. And pray, Holy Spirit, I invite you into my life. I invite you to guide me. I invite you to empower me. And I invite you to strengthen me so that I could obey Jesus and that he could be glorified in my life. So now I pray for every person in this room. I pray that God, as we get into this series together, that your Holy Spirit would come and empower and equip every person in our church. God, give us supernatural strengths and abilities in our church to be able to move your kingdom the way you want us to. And it's in Jesus Christ's name we pray. Amen. Let's give him a shout of praise. He's good. He's good. Well, I'm excited about this series. I hope you won't miss it. Love you guys. I'll see you next week.